0: Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen. Daily, we bring you insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg. John, what do you see? Just
1: to give you some of the odds on who the next governor of the Bank of England will be. Jared Lyons has become the front-runner. bet on this? Betway said it has cut the odds on him to 6-4 to four after seeing notable support from gamblers. So that's a story that emerged over the weekend Tom certainly not hearing this from official lines but certainly a lot of speculation so over the last if, couple of if days if we have
0: sport betting in the United States are we now going to have betting on who dissents at a Fed meeting or you you can have whether odds. Michael McKee will have you can have odds on question. anything in the UK <laughs> 4 to 1 odds McKee yes, it, if you go to the bookies not rude
1: I don't think that you and I would be able to bet on that given that we would have inside information no, on what Michael be, McKee might ask well we
0: know he's rude <laughs> we'll so <go>. let's,
1: <clears throat> let's try and stay out of trouble <clears throat> here let, let,
0: let's talk to someone uh, graceful here Gabriel Santos with us J.P. Morgan I want to go back, given the moment we're in, to where James Diamond got on a platform, and I don't remember where it was, around Brexit, and basically said, J.P. Morgan believes in London. Now, you don't need to do a sales job this morning on J.P. Morgan in London, but as not that you're a representative for the executives of the bank, but as an international bank, London in the United Kingdom is critical. Whatever happens here, London is still London, isn't it?
2: Absolutely. And, and we do think that uh, we have changed the protagonist of uh, the Brexit movie, um, but it's over the next six months or so going to look fairly similar to the one that we were watching before. But eventually there will be, uh, you know, a, a day yeah. after Brexit, right? So we just need to get through some, some more of this period of uncertainty right. and then life will move on. Right. And this this yeah. is the same for for Brexit. It's the same for the trade uncertainty we're right. living through. Cyclically, it's a big challenge. But eventually there will be a day it, after. One
0: thing, John, that's extraordinary. Speaking of, of London is the mayor of London with a harsh criticism by the president of the United States. Boris Johnson's lineage is extraordinary. Going back three generations, a Muslim, I'm going to say great grandfather, Uh, there's a whole Jewish wing to his family as well. I mean, this guy, and this guy was a liberal mayor, right? I mean, socially liberal mayor.
1: Yeah, to some degree. Yeah. Certainly not as liberal as the one we have now in London. Agreed, but But nevertheless,
0: he straddled society perhaps better than most conservatives getting
1: some reaction from europe now Michel barnier saying we look forward to working constructively with prime minister boris johnson when he takes office to facilitate the ratification of the withdrawal agreement and achieve an orderly brexit we are ready also to rework the agreed declaration on a new partnership in line with european commission guidelines it is going to be fascinating to see what kind of different approach a prime minister boris johnson takes with european leaders and whether he can get a different result to Prime Minister May.
0: Can I note to four decimal points, Swissies come in strong Swiss, and German two-year has come down another two, whatever you call it, where it's almost near record low. I mean, I'm not going to say markets moving on Prime Minister Johnson... But I'm looking at my Bloomberg screen and markets are moving.
1: I think Europe shifts quickly to the ECB decision on Thursday. Fair. And I think that's at the epicenter of FX price action in G10, especially at the moment. Just the idea being that if the Europeans ease, the SMB needs to follow up with something. Otherwise, all they're going to get is euro-swiss lower. And euro-swiss lower, stronger, stronger franc, Swiss franc, it is yeah. the last thing that President Jordan wants over in Zurich, Switzerland. It's the last thing he wants. So look, the politics in the UK is gonna take center stage for sterling crosses. Everything else in Europe, the distraction will be on the ECB in the coming days. Where's
0: the distraction of multinationals in Europe? I mean, they all pay big fat dividends, Gabriel Santos, but within your asset management, do you buy their dividend and the plod forward or do you have to stay in the United States?
2: So, Europe is is tough to, to become very positive on here in the short term. Thinking about European equities, about 20% financials, uh, and if we're in this environment that we didn't expect to be in just a few months ago, but if indeed we do see rate cuts uh, probably in September by the ECB, um, that's an environment where European financials will struggle to really break out. Um, Europe of course also at the yeah. center of a lot of this uncertainty, Brexit, trade, so it's it seems tough to to become very very optimistic about european equities here. john
0: siemens dividend 3.8 percent you know it's just it's a bigger dividend that's a decent dividends
1: on a footsie as no well growth. in some of the big yeah, energy yeah. names just yeah. depends whether you want to take that kind of risk at the moment without
0: so. dividend growth i mean what gabriella mm. earlier uh she spent some time with one of my properties earlier john uh, this morning she modeled out a two percent share buyback coupon Can I
1: just get a final word on the United Kingdom, on on Brexit and the markets? We can talk to the end of the earth about sterling. I want to talk about rates in the United Kingdom and guilt specifically. I am fascinated to see how the guilt market responds to a prime minister that may be a little bit bolder and more aggressive with the Europeans and push the line that they are willing to go through with a hard Brexit on October 31st without a deal. Do you see a market, Gabriella, that behaves like an emerging market country or a developed market country? And what I mean by that is do yields grind tighter, lower in the United Kingdom on the risk of a hard Brexit? Or do they start to go a little bit higher on the fear that the foreign money starts to flee? sterling denominated assets
2: mm. we do think uh uk guilts are likely to grind lower uh, i do think the expectation would be if you did have a hard brexit that the bank of england would respond uh, by cutting rates to try to um, stimulate growth and mm-hmm. try to prevent uh, some sort of uh, worse adverse reaction so we do think ultimately uk guilts are likely to grind lower following in line with the rest of the global theme we're seeing
0: is is there an opportunity internationally i mean you live on airplanes is there an opportunity internationally (laughs) right now
2: there is um of course all about time frames we do think internationally five ten years out will have its day in the sun once again I think more tactically, there are some positive stories. There are few and far in between. Um, one story that, uh, as, a, as a good um, Brazilian, I w- would be remiss not to bring out, that is one area of the world that we're actually seeing a reduction in economic policy uncertainty. Um, and that's really around uh, some more implementation of reforms, um, both in terms of fiscal as well as economic reforms. So that's one area that's really standing out here in the short term, as moving in a different uh, direction and a positive one.
1: Gabriela Santos joining us from JP Morgan Asset Management. Great to catch up with you this morning. Thank you so much. Appreciate your patience. Yeah. We will have a new Prime Minister in the United Kingdom, and his name will be Boris Johnson.
0: With uh, Prime Minister Johnson's ascent. Or selection, I should say, by what is it, John? Like one hundred and seventy thousand people? About one
1: hundred and sixty, I think. I
0: mean, that's like you know the Friday brunch crowd at the Ned. You know,
1: it's the way the process works in the United Kingdom. You're selecting the leader of your party, which, as a consequence, becomes the prime minister.
0: Can people vote that don't own land? I, I mean, it's it's like quaint.
1: If you are a, if you are a member of the Conservative <laughs> Party, you can mm-hmm. vote. And the membership base is about 160,000.
0: We go to an expert to give us some real perspective on this. We're thrilled that Catherine Barnard joins us with Cambridge University. She's truly provided value to surveillance in the nuances of this moment. Uh, Professor, what is the nuance for Boris Johnson literally in the next 48 hours? What's he need to do? i don 't i don 't think Boris Johnson does nuance he
3: does big picture stuff he does bold colors um, what he 's good at is getting some uh, good people around him who can deliver on the things that he wants to do. But what he's got to do in the next uh, 48 hours is, first of all, to say um, he's got a big speech to give tomorrow where he's going to set out not just his priorities in respect of Brexit, but also his priorities in respect of um, social policy, which he is very keen to pursue alongside. So he can show that there's a domestic agenda as well as a Brexit agenda.
1: Is there a risk, Catherine, that some of the some of the MPs within the Conservative Party start to defect. Do you see that as a risk, an immediate risk, that this majority that the Prime Minister will be holding, a very, very slim majority held together by politicians in Northern Ireland, may fall apart quite quickly?
3: Well, that's the that's great fear for Boris Johnson, which is why there's much talk about the fact that there's likely to be a snap general election, some people say on the 24th of October. Um, but the problem then is if he goes for a snap general election before the 31st of October is that it will become a four-party race and the Brexit party will be able to hammer the Conservatives by saying you, the t- Conservatives, haven't, haven't delivered Brexit. And so some people say he might wait until the um, early spring. But the problem is it's really difficult to govern when you've got no majority that can really push your legislation through.
1: He's got to get to October the 31st. Can he get there?
3: Well, of course, he can very easily get there because the default position is that uh, the UK (laughs) crashes out of the EU without any deal on the 31st of October. Um, it is possible to extend that date, but that requires the unanimous agreement of the remaining EU um, states, the EU 27. And it's not clear that they would agree to an extension if one were asked for, um, if um, they d- think the UK is just playing for time because we're not actually doing anything concrete.
1: It was always assumed that it was never a credible threat. A hard Brexit from the Prime Minister Theresa May was never a credible threat. Has it become somewhat more credible with Prime Minister Boris Johnson, Catherine, going into these negotiations think, again with the Europeans?
3: I think it has become a much more credible threat. There are people around not just who are Boris Johnson supporters who who say that the chances of us having a no-deal Brexit now are up between 70 and 80%. So um, I think the chances of a no-deal Brexit have gone up quite considerably. Uh, the planning has also increased in order to um, hit that date of the... Um, 31st of October yeah. but the fact is um, the Parliament voted last week um, over a very technical point in the Northern Ireland legislation to say actually we don't want Parliament to be prorogued that's suspended so it may be sending out a more complicated message right that maybe we're not heading for a
0: no-deal Brexit what will be Prime Minister Johnson's complicated Irish message versus what we saw from Prime Minister May
3: well, he's absolutely convinced that the Northern Ireland border problem can be sorted out by technology. And just to remind your listeners who may not be living
0: and breathing the, the question of the. That north would be Northern a few of us. We have, well, we have 42 <laughs> listeners, and I would say 44 of the 42 listeners are not living and breathing Brexit, so continue. <laughs>
3: <clears throat> the Northern Ireland border issue is that at the moment there is no physical border between the north of Ireland and the south. Yeah and if we leave the uh, european union without a deal um it's inevitable that a border will um, a physical border will reemerge between the north and the south and that goes directly contrary to the spirit of the good friday agreement which was that extraordinary agreement which led to significant peace in northern ireland And so the question is, how do you square the circle of us leaving the single market and the customs union, the key components of the EU, uh, while not reintroducing a hard border? And so Boris Johnson's answer to that is, we can do it through the wonders of technology. The problem is, lots of people say, there is no technology that exists at the moment that doesn't rely on, for example, cameras, and cameras require infrastructure, and that becomes something like a physical border in Northern Ireland, and that's the real problem.
1: Catherine, just to pick up on a line that was used that acceptance speech from Boris Johnson just about an hour ago. Deliver Brexit, unite the country, defeat Jeremy Corbyn. Those three objectives, which one's the hardest? (laughs)
3: <laughs> I think they, I think they're all a star in terms of difficulty. I mean, delivering Brexit at one level, of course, is going to happen automatically on the thirty-first of October. So, from, from one point of view, that will be the easiest. But of course, the thirty-first of October is a date, and um, a hard Brexit is not actually an event, but it's a process, and it's what happens on the thirty-first of November and thirty-first of December and so forth that really becomes the issue. So, actually, at one level, delivering Brexit is very easy. What's much more difficult, will be delivering Brexit in a way that satisfies a very divided country. And so, in, in fact, one leads to another.
1: In the, immediate, in the immediate term, he's got to unite the party, Tom. 4pm London time, he will speak to the Tory rank and file MPs. So in around about three hours' time yeah. in the UK, he's got to yeah. sit down with the Tory rank yeah. and file MPs yeah. and try and unite them. It's- Catherine, how does he do that today?
3: Well, that's the relatively easy part because the rank-and-file, certainly those who are members, voted overwhelmingly for Boris Johnson. Uh, premiership, so that will bit will be the easy bit, and he will make a tub something speech saying um, that we will be leaving the EU on the 31st of October, and we will okay. be a great and glorious country. But it's all very good talking in adjectives and abstract nouns. It's actually delivering that. It's going to be damn so harder.
0: I mean, we got to remember that this guy's a guy who studied Greek and uh, uh, Greek and Latin at, at Oxford. He's you know got a high fancy degree and all all that. Professor, what is his prime ministerial uh, parallel? I mean, you know, he he likes to be Disraeli and say he's a a man of many seasons and many interests and he does this and he does that. Is there any previous Boris Johnson that's held the office? Well, I think he fancies uh, modeling
3: himself on Winston Churchill. Um, who was also a man with a very large personality and a very large hinterland. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> the question is whether he will have the dexterity of a Churchill to both deliver a Brexit that doesn't damage the country and also brings um, the public back together because at the moment the country, like Parliament, is absolutely divided down the middle. And the and the figures haven't changed dramatically. You'll remember on the 23rd of June it was fifty two forty eight in favour of leave. At the moment it might be 52 52- 48 in favour of Remain, but it's very difficult to tell. But the fact is the country is split and it's going to be a huge challenge for someone like Boris yeah. Johnson who led the Leave campaign to really reach out to those Remainers. Yeah.
0: Professor, thank you for your time with Bloomberg Surveillance and Professor uh, at Cambridge and has just given us wonderful perspective. I love over catching the up with Catherine. makes it's
1: it great. very, very clear and easy to understand because the yeah. process in the United Kingdom is and very complex and foreign to yes. so many people.
0: And it's in English. You know, it's Oh, no, by definition. A joke. Yeah, I get it. It was quite,
1: it. quite funny. on form today.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm trying. We'll avoid the mathiness of late July and August. That is difficult to do with one of our most acute thinkers on central banks. That is Nariana Kuchelakota. Of course, acclaimed at Minnesota and now at the University of Rochester and joins us on the shores of the Genesee River uh, today. Professor Kachalakota, wonderful to have you with us. If I go back to the writings of the late 90s, including Kachalakota and Phelan, there's the reality of what if we ever got to the zero bound? Well, here we are 20 years later at the zero bound or in the vicinity of it. Are we looking at central banks and can they do what they need to do at the zero bound or is this all an exercise in futility right now?
4: Hi, Tom. Yeah. Thanks a lot for having me on. Uh, You know, I think that uh, the zero bound was seemed like a uh, just a theoretical curiosum um, 20 years ago, with the exception of Japan, obviously, but uh, central banks around the world are having to live with it and, I think it's very much a factor in the Fed's current thinking is uh, that we don't want to get ourselves into a recession where we, we would really face the need to use our ammunition. So let's keep the economy as healthy as we possibly can uh, now. Um, and I think that's definitely a factor in their thinking about their easing uh, decision uh, okay. that they're going to be making next week.
0: You have been a student, I believe you taught at Rochester, measured 101 or maybe it was 203. I can't remember the course. Alan Greenspan delivered us the phrase measured and in an incremental policy. Do we need to go back to Burns dynamism? Do we need to go back to 50 basis points or abrupt moves or do we stay a measured way as a reigning theory of central banking?
4: I, that is a great question, and I—that's I, I, it. I, you
0: got it. Boris Johnson didn't get the great question today. That's question, Professor that Katschula. Got it. That's it. I'm done. Continue.
4: <laughs> but I—I I, I think uh, first of all, I think the Fed is very dominated by the, the gradualist thinking uh, that, that you attribute to, uh, to former Chairman Greenspan. With that said, I would prefer if they committed themselves to being <clears throat> a, a, to an aggressive response if we had a a a significant downturn so if unemployment were to rise above four percent uh... which doesn't sound that significant but it would mean a big increase over where we are today um... if that looked like it was something that's sustainable i think the fed should really uh... say okay we're going to cut interest rates uh... significantly and aggressively at that point and that would be a better response than the the, uh, the more gradual approach that they're 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 uh, they're still stuck in.
1: Narayana, it looks like we finally have a really contentious Federal Reserve meeting. We've heard arguments for no cuts. We've heard arguments for twenty-five basis point cuts. We've heard an argument that sounds like an argument for a fifty basis <laughs> point cut. <laughs> Narayana, take me inside that room. How difficult will it be to find consensus on July thirty-first?
4: Uh, I think uh, uh, this. This chairman is, you know, been proven himself to be a, a consensus builder. Um, I think the bulk of the communication has been pretty clear uh, that that we're, we're aiming it at, at 25 basis points. For myself, I'd prefer to see um, a dissent, actually, at the uh, at next next week's uh, meeting. Uh, I think dissents will play an important role in terms of communicating to the public that, that the Fed is taking on board all risks. Um, so yeah. I would expect a hawkish a hawkish dissent next week um and uh, uh, so saying maybe this isn't the time to, to to cut interest rates
0: professor uh andy haldane over at the bank of england out with a set of uh headlines and they're brexit and all that but he has a headline which also goes to the heart of all of our listeners um is as well he says united kingdom workers are experiencing a pay disaster so many Americans feel that way, that they're in a, quote, unquote, pay disaster. How do we boost that quickly in lieu of a productivity advancement?
4: Yeah, you know, I think that uh, is a, a very challenging question. And it, it uh, is one that economists and policymakers are struggling with around the world, It it is, I think, largely outside the purview of short-term policy to make that happen. I think it's really more a longer-term uh, issues. But, yeah, I think, you know, uh, Andy Haldane's right. I think the, the, in the U.K. they are facing pay disaster. Things are a little better for our workers here in the yeah.
0: United
3: States.
4: But, <clears throat> but uh, certainly many Americans feel would, would agree with Mr. Haldane's uh, statement.
0: Well, we, if we get a jump condition away from Greenspanian measure, we expect to see you with a pipe holding a pipe blowing Arthur Bernsian smoke signals here at any point. Professor Kachalakota, thank you so much. Of course, it is esteemed that moment when the federal is back in the of The International Monetary Fund, they're out with a a MID-YEAR CORRECTION, IF YOU WILL, ON THEIR WORLD ECONOMIC OUTLOOK. THE HEADLINE IS WEAKER GROWTH, BUT IT IS A JUMBLE AS WELL AROUND TRADE. THE HEADLINE, THEY CUT THEIR GLOBAL OUTLOOK, SEE DOWNSIDE RISKS ON TRADE TENSIONS. I WAS ABLE TO SPEAK WITH OUR DIRECTOR OF ECONOMIC RESEARCH, their CHIEF ECONOMIST, GITA Gopinath. HERE IS OUR CONVERSATION, GITA GOPANETH ON TRADE.
5: THE U.S. IS GROWING AT AROUND 2.6%, AND THAT IS A SOLID ECONOMY. <clears throat> the labor markets are quite strong and you see wage growth so there are uh, you know good signs of solid growth and with that said there are downside risks especially coming from the, the rest of the world
0: one of the great things you do within this report is really partition the service sector in the united states and other nations with the goods producing sector what is the distinction of your analysis of a better performing service sector versus all the uproar we see in goods?
5: So, you know, it's, it's great to look at the distinction between what's happening with manufacturing and services because that's exactly where we see <clears throat> the negative outcomes of heightened policy uncertainty. So manufacturing, purchasing managers, indices continue to decline, while at the same time, services sector <coughs> continues to hold up and consumer sentiment is strong. Now, you know that is partly a reflection of the fact that there has been improvements in labor market outcomes in most of the major economies of the world. There's been wage growth. So that is holding up fairly well. But it's all the uncertainty on the trade and technology right. front that's weighing on uncertainty going forward on manufacturing and industrial production.
0: And what's so important here within the body of research we see at Bloomberg each day is the idea of the inflation dynamics separately of service sector and goods-producing sector. Do your academics at the IMF believe they'll stay where they are? Does service sector come down with diminished growth? Does the goods-producing sector come up with any trade solution? What are those dynamics between that two-part inflation? So
5: inflation is certainly undershooting for most of the major economies. I mean, in the US more recently, in Euro area, it is a well below target. Now, the explanation for why that is, is varied. There could be still an improvement in labor force participation rates that could again strengthen uh, wages going forward for, uh, for workers. But in the US, we've also seen an improvement in productivity. So if you look at unit labor costs, those things haven't gone up as much, which is why we're not seeing as much in inflation. But we should expect to see that going forward.
0: Gita, I know you need to be political as chief economist for uh, the IMF. I love your phrasing of the turmoil that's out there now, policy actions and missteps. Let's talk about the policy actions and missteps of a mercantile United States of America. How much at risk is the multilateral or even a constructive bilateral debate for America with the president's strong mercantilism?
5: The way we see it, that this sluggishness in global growth is to some extent self-inflicted. And it is an outcome of prolonged uncertainty on the trade front, escalating tensions on technology, the prolonged uncertainty with Brexit. Uh, And uh, so these factors are weighing on growth. So while on one hand, we do see Mm -hmm. tightening labor markets and raising wages, on the other hand, we do see this uncertainty, this negative sentiment that's weighing on growth going forward.
0: How urgent is it to clear the market of a trade war? Is it an immediacy of we need to do this in 2019? Or can it wait for the IMF annual meeting to figure out how to end our various trade wars?
5: I mean, it's absolutely urgent to end these trade wars as soon <clears throat> as possible to not escalate and also to roll back the tariffs in place. That will have a big boost to business sentiment, that will raise investment, and that will be good for the global economy.
0: Gide Gopinath, out of Princeton, she has a wonderful lineage in uh, economics, out of Delhi as well. I was with Madame Lagarde the day. Uh, the Gita, it was announced that Gita Gopinath would take over uh, Paul Sweeney. And the, I said this to Madame Lagarde, and I can say it to Lagarde because she's so competent. It's just great to have this whole modern diversity thing where the talent is so competent yep. that people don't even have to t- It's like Gina that martin That came Adams. across, yeah. Gina, just- when you hire Gina Martin-Adams, same thing. Yep. Nobody cares. It's nope. just they're so damn competent. You just sit there with your, you know, and you listen. Yeah,
6: you know, Ms. What, Gopinath, I mean, her comments were, I thought, you know, very – cogent in the sense that you know this while the consumer is strong um, you know the manufacturing globally is a concern and the trade is playing right into that and that's uh, something that the market has to clear as yeah, you suggested.
0: We we taped as you know a 4 hour interview to get right. that little bit I'm kidding but it was, it was a few other themes she was diplomatic as you must be at the IMF but academically scathing about the death of multilateral and block negotiations. Yep. She was surgical in a criticism of the many people in the world that are looking for my way or the highway that's
6: right the bilateral uh, agreements yeah. well even the,
0: i'm not sure they're bilateral. bilateral i was using the phrase trump lateral right trump lateral right that you know, would not and, uh, be, you know.
6: it'll be you know even the brexit which is a topic of the day once again i mean you know a lot yeah. of that is being built upon oh the uk and the us can get yeah. a great trade deal together and you won't even miss the eu and you know, I just yeah. can't see how that's going to come to play. But.
0: Did you notice Pharaohs had his phone glued to him all morning? Is that right? Wait, waiting for the call from Boris. <laughs> That's right. To be the captain. <laughs> it's really good. I mean, it was really nice how they did it. I don't understand the process, but to see Mr. Hunt and Mr. Johnson yep. get up both on stage and they did the classy announcement thing. It was sort of like, you know, an Oscar kind of thing. And, right. And the envelope,
6: please. <laughs> It'll be interesting tomorrow. I just wish I like, could put a camera into uh, into the castle just as, yeah. you know, the prime ministers go to the queen and one tenders his or her resignation and the yeah. question, and then I guess... Mr. Johnson will then go and uh, presumably receive. uh, And the
0: symbolism goes so far, Paul, that Prime Minister May shows up with full prime ministerial security entourage. And the tradition is she leaves the palace as a private citizen. Right. I don't know if she gets in the golf stream, but she <laughs> leases a private. Everything citizen. I
6: learned about that is I learned from the TV show The Crown. You know, that's it. That's kind of my uh, British civics lesson. Mark,
0: it's such a tramp. <laughs> I mean, I mean <laughs> that's what I learned from The Crown. Now right. I'm watching. I'm watching something. I'm sure a huge part of our audience has already seen some American Revolutionary War, and you know, it's I don't know the, the the cliffs of it's it's the cliffs of Dover, but I think it's Cornwall <laughs> or something. Right. We're we're very British here. And it's thanks to John Farrell, Anna Edwards, and Francine Lacroix at Westminster this morning. We're very valuable. (music) On Thursday, one weather report I saw says it will be 109 degrees Fahrenheit in Paris. Francine LaQuad demands that she only appear on Bloomberg Surveillance New York when we speak Celsius. It's in the vicinity (laughs) of 42 to 43 degrees Celsius. It will be 93 in southern England on Thursday and doing yo woman's duty on Westminster today. And the heat was Francine LaCroix. Francine, how unair conditioned is the United <laughs> Kingdom? The BBC has an article that's just stunning. I mean, in America, they estimate fifteen percent of energy consumption is air conditioning. Is it like as bad as they say in the United Kingdom? I'm sorry, what
7: is air conditioning? I don't think we have it in the UK. I think <laughs> offices have it just about so you can get some work done, but we're just not used to the heat top. Yeah. So, you know, things actually melt in the UK because it's only yeah. last four to five years that you have these like heat waves. In the past, it never happened. Yeah. It was English weather. It was like you know 25 at best Celsius. Yeah,
0: within the limited time we've got, Francine, you're back at Queen Victoria Street, I believe, air conditioned. Yes. Um, and, and, and within that is who Boris Johnson's going to offend the most in the next 48 hours as he picks a cabinet. I, I mean, who wins?
7: Who well, loses? I, I would probably go out on a limb and say the person he's going to offend the most is probably the EU when he shows up to try and renegotiate the deal. But in the moment, look, we don't really know, Tom, because he has a really broad base of allies from Hancock, who's, you know, um, pro-renegotiating the deal, but a pro-Remainer, to someone like Jacob Rees-Mogg, who's really on the other spectrum, an arch-Brexiteer. So it, he'll look at the vote today. So he won by 66%. That's two and one. That's a pretty long margin. And he may just say, look, I want a chancellor that's a Brexiteer because he'll help me. He'll, you know, try and give it to his supporters or people that have made him a prime minister. Or he'll think, well, look, I only got 66 percent of the vote. That's not bad, but I could have done better. And so I'll appoint some key pro-remainers in the cabinet to keep them on side. So at the moment, we don't really know his thinking, but that that's the kind of, you know, generic things that he'll have to decide in the next couple of days.
6: So, Francine, realistically, what can Bar- Boris Johnson get done in the next several months. What's the expectation?
7: Well, so he keeps on saying that yeah, on the 31st of October, he'll leave. It was very, very interesting for me to listen to the speech that he gave right after he was announced as a conservative leader, which means that tomorrow he'll be prime minister, where he said, basically, if you look at the mantra that he used to campaign, that's what he'll continue doing. A, deliver Brexit. Remember, we're exactly 100 days from that uh, 31st October deadline. Two, unite the country. Unclear how he'll do that. And three, defeat Jeremy Corbyn. Now, is that an, an election campaign? Does does it mean that he wants to start campaigning and then call a general election? And is that why he's saying he's going to defeat Jeremy Corbyn? It's unclear for the moment. We know that he wants to, um, you know, so, you know, renegotiate Brexit and quit the bloc by the thirty-first. So he'll try to go back to the EU and see whether they can change anything on the so-called Irish backstop.
6: So Francine, does do you think Boris Johnson has anything in his toolbox to get this thing across the finish line that perhaps uh, Theresa May did not have?
7: I mean, not really. When you speak to a lot of insiders at Westminster, you say, you know, his style is very different. His energy is very different. And so that may actually um, scare, on the one side, the EU to give him a little bit more because he means business when he says that they'll leave on the 31st of um, October, do or die. Others will say, you know, the minds of the parliamentarians will be focused because he's serious about a no deal. But remember, how many times have we said about Theresa May, the fact that, you know, if you get close to a no deal, then people will suddenly freak out and vote for what's on the table. I'm not sure that's the the right way of looking at
0: this. What do former prime ministers do? Do they get a prime ministerial library? I mean, that's sort of the bone (laughs) we throw presidents in America. A
7: little bit different, actually. Remember, Tony Blair became a special envoy to the Middle East, and then now he's campaigning to have a second referendum and to stop Brexit. If you look at David Cameron, he really kind of you know, fallen out of the face of the earth if you're um, a common citizen. But he is on the circuit of a talk circuit getting quite a lot of money for it. Mm. So it will be interesting to see what Theresa May does next, if anything.
6: So, Francine, one of my, you know, my pet solution for this whole Brexit thing has always been, let's just do it again. A second referendum. (laughs) Any chance that that is still on the table?
7: Yeah, so I still hear that. A lot of people are saying, well, look, it means that a lot of people, um, you know, that that it puts us closer to a second referendum. But if you think about it, so the people that voted for Brexit will feel cheated. Um, You know, what does it take for a Boris Johnson, someone who's really the face of Brexit, to say, guys, no, no, we're just kidding. Let's do it again. And then if you have a poll that's really close, or actually if you have a vote that's really close, let's say 53, 47 the other way, what do you do? Do you do it a third time? So I keep on hearing that yeah. from from mainly people that want to i think
0: stay in the yeah. eu it was pretty hot today on the green wasn't it yeah no you're, kidding you <laughs> killed it how do you make i mean should we ask the woman from italy here to get something constructive done on bloomberg surveillance how does francine lacroix make an aperol spritz i mean we're all a bunch of tourists we don't know what we're doing you're the real deal francine how do you make an aperol spritz
7: I'm going to break your heart times. So I love an Aperol spritz like many people do, but actually there's a new drink that's like it's it's called the Udo spritz with the uh, Udo spritz. Udo spritz and it's actually with elderflower. I don't know whether you know Aperol if there's no deal Brexit will be brought in the country, but it's it's uh, a bit of prosecco, you know, a little bit less of Aperol and a splash of soda water, Tom.
0: Very good. That sounds good on her. She killed a t- bad, it. Twenty-four degrees. She looks so calm and connected out there. Everybody else, you know, Everybody else Roger was. Roger was Roger I mean, I Boodle. was melting. Roger Boodle was just a mess with <laughs> capital <laughs> economics. And is like, we do this every day. Francine, thank you so much. Are you at the green tomorrow? Um, perhaps. Perhaps. Watch okay. the space. Depends what Boris is doing. Think maybe you'll be in the cabinet. I could see that, Francine The like, wow, Cabineteer.